If you want to listen to this episode or any of our episodes ad-free, you can do that now. Head on over to Patreon. Click on the ad-free level. You get all of our bonus shows that you've been hearing so much about. Plus, every single day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, you can listen to this episode or any of our other episodes at the same time, ad-free, over on Patreon. everyone. This is David. Welcome back behind the velvet robe. Let's just get right into it today because we are joined by the one, the only Miss Gabrielle Carteris. Hello. That was such a lovely introduction. Listen, well, you deserve it. I'm sorry. You you deserve it. You also deserve a congratulations. The new president of the International Federation of Actors. Yeah, Fia. Very excited. It's an incredible honor. And I really think it will help our members tremendously. So it's great. I'm excited. And you're the first American to ever hold this position. I know. I know. I mean, is that like, that's a thing, right? Like, are you able to, are you one of those that's able to say like, okay, I mean, I'm not really so good at it. Are you able to say like, just take a minute and take it in? You know, uh, I, I thought about it. I actually, it's, you know, I've been working with Fia for a couple of years now. So I've actually been a part of, you know, I've known them for a while, the group and uh, moving forward. But I, yeah, I have to sit and think about it. I mean, there's so much going on. I'm very grateful. There's a lot of work though. And I'm, you know, I want to be able to help as much as I can. So we'll see how it goes. But I, it's a real, it is an incredible honor and it's amazing. I just had Congress last week it is amazing to work with uh, all the other countries and other performers around the world and to realize that we all actually face the same issues. We work with the same employers and we have to up our game because the employers are going to look to, you know, find the lowest denominator, pay the least they can in all these countries. So we have to make sure all ships rise, right? If we go and we do it right, we're going to actually help make a difference for performers everywhere. That's amazing. Were you, was it always acting for you growing up? Were you ever, or did you ever waver and say, maybe I'll do this instead? I think, you know what, the best thing about being young is I think for me, it's that I remember thinking I could just choose what I wanted to do. I think that I was at one point thought, you know, uh, I always wanted to be an actor. I was going to be a dancer. I had, you know, a scholarship at San Francisco Ballet. And then Lou Christensen said, you're so short. So I knew that was not my place. But I think that I thought about uh, being a therapist at one time. I thought about a lot of things. But once I got into acting, when I was really fortunate enough to really start making a living, I never really faltered too much from that. I really, I love it. Really? Well, you did, you know, a lot of ABC ABC after school specials in another world. So you were working before 90210. But how did you, how did 90210 come to you? Like, where did you first hear about it? I was living in New York at the time. I did. I was doing a lot of theater at the time, a lot. So off-Broadway, regional theater. And I was working pretty much nonstop between that and commercials. And um, I came out to Los Angeles for pilot season. I had a friend who was here. I slept on the floor in a sleeping bag in his living room. And, I, uh, and then I stayed with another friend and I stayed in her bed and I had a box of clothes and I would get up every morning is before we had cell phones. I would get up every morning and I would go across the street to the gas station to make phone calls to my manager in New York to ask if there were any auditions. But I was, you know, at the time I was uh, visiting here auditioning for a pilot season and I came to Beverly, class of Beverly Hills at the time it was called. And I, um, I auditioned for it and some other shows as well. And it just was, I think, a plethora of riches. I was very lucky. And um I auditioned and ultimately got the role. Was it like, how was it touted? Do you like, did you, was there like a buzz around it? I mean, this was Charlie's no. Angels, really? Well, there was the buzz for me was it was Aaron Spelling, right? That to me was like 
Aaron Spelling, anything he touched was gold, right? Yeah. Everything he did. In fact, my I was offered another show, Dr. Ruth Westheimer. I don't know, Dr. Ruth Westheimer on Sexually Speaking. But anyway, she had a TV series that she was going to do in New York. And I had been offered a role on that. And I didn't like the script at all. And I actually saw Dr. Ruth Westheimer a couple of years later. And I said, I almost, you know, did your show. And she said, good for you. You did not because it did not go well. But um but I actually, so I went and I auditioned for that and I um, auditioned for 90210. And, and what my manager said to me at the time, Gabrielle, why would you want to do that show? It's good. There's no guarantee. Dr. Ruth Westheimer's got six episodes guaranteed in New York. You don't have to move. And I said, no, this is Aaron Spelling. I said, I just think I just can't say no. And that was fortuitous for me, right? Because I was getting actually suggestions to do other things. And I did it. And the, and the pilot wasn't very good. So after the pilot, I was like, all right, well, it's okay. I'll just move to LA and I'll look for other work. And, but it, it went. And so. What was the, I mean, cause I know Dr. Ruth, what was the Dr. Ruth show? It was like a scripted show. I don't even remember. It was a scripted show. Really? It was a, it was a, a sitcom kind of. And it, I thought it was so terrible. And they kept calling me back and I was like, this is terrible. This is terrible. Terrible. Like I just, I couldn't do it. And when my manager called me about it, I said, I just, I, I just can't, I, I, I'll die. I just, it's, it's not, you know, and I needed to work. I mean, I was just really kind of starting, but I, you know, I couldn't thread that needle. I just couldn't do it. Well, and Dr. Ruth agreed with you. So yeah, she did. I was lucky. Right. Do was Aaron Spelling, did you meet Aaron Spelling during the audition process or the final, uh, audition that I did I went to Aaron Spelling's uh in his his office with like all of his you know Duke Vincent was there who is his second and all the people you know they were sitting around this big l-shaped uh seat and that's where I met Aaron for the first time and then I met him when I did of course the um you know the screen test for it when I had to go into network for it so uh yeah and then I knew you know Aaron throughout the years and such a nice man, you know, loved his family. Such a, he was a good man. Are you the type to get nervous? Like when you walk into a room with like an Aaron Spelling? Oh, first of all, devastated. I am, I am the person who cries before an audition. Literally really? I cry. It's, it's a lot. And I, with, uh, I, what I did for my audition for Aaron, the only way I could calm myself through my callbacks and all that is I actually did push-ups through the, so imagine at the network at Fox, in their hallways while people are sitting to go and audition. And I'm literally doing push-ups and jumping jacks because I have to still my heart. It's just overwhelming for me. And once I start working, I'm fine. But that moment is really, yeah, it's a lot. I mean, people think it's just you go in and you do it. It's not like that for me. <laughs> wow. And that just existed throughout your whole career. Yeah, there's times, I mean, I love... If, if you're in a, I mean, doing that, going that far is really, you know, I knew it was big. And so I got stressed, but there are other times when the dialogue and everything is so right on and it's really intimate. It's not like that, but I do, I have anxiety about it. It's even theater before I do stage every time before I go to the show, I'm like, I love the rehearsals. I love everything. And just before I go out, I want to vomit. I'm just, really? I wish I could say it was not like that, but it is. Well, we all know the infamous story about how you were 29 years old and you lied and you said you were 21. Now, no, said, you know, yeah, that's 20. right, 21. Right. I mean, living in this, you know, post 9-11 world and now we have COVID and just whatever. I mean, how? How is this possible? Like no one needed an ID at that point? Wait, no, you didn't. You know, it's not, you're not legally allowed to ask for people's ages. So if we didn't have- That's true. You know, that's for job hiring, it's illegal. That's why we were able to win- with Governor Brown signing against IMDb, even though they've challenged that and now we're back in. But yeah, it's not in any other job for lawyers, doctors, whatever position yeah. you're not allowed to add a, ask age. And the problem for us now is what's different because computers, we didn't have the internet, nobody could check up on me, right? And now they had to pay like the DMV, you know, to find out my age. But now that accessibility of age on, it really affects people's hiring yeah, and that's unfortunate. It should not, you know, age should not be our definer for work. I used to, I used to, in my past life I've had, I used to be, I used to be a corporate tax lawyer, if you can believe that, mm. but let's not even get into that. Wow, I then ran, yes, that's a whole nother story. I then ran HR and recruiting at various companies, including Martha Stewart. So 
I can tell you from the head of HR and recruiting, there's such age discrimination out there. It's not, I mean, not, I didn't do it, but you'd get these qualified candidates. And I'm like, I'm like, I can't convince this person to hire this person. So I'll say it's too old. They're too old. And even people say, oh, it's just on the end. You can find anything on the internet. We said, yeah, but IMDB, all those sites, those sites actually are used for hiring purposes. And when you have the age, they say, you know, you don't have to look at the age. I said, it's subconscious. You can't look at somebody's thing, see their age and then ignore it. What you look is like, oh my God, that's how, oh no, that's just not right. I mean, it becomes this subconscious to conscious bias that it really affects, it's terrible. I mean, when I hear young men and women talking to me about their fear of being exposed because they wanna be able to play around in an age range versus an age. And I'm thinking, or older people who are afraid or writers, writers who are actually aged out just because of their age, when they actually could be excellent storytellers because they've been doing it for so long, that people will say, you just, you know what, you can't, there's no way you're going to be able to relate to yada, yada. And it's a terrible, terrible discriminatory act. Even people who are crews below the line. I mean, it's just, it's appalling, actually, when you think about it. It is. I mean, because listen, we're all getting older, so... Did you like just in general looking younger than your age? I mean, in life was that, or did you not like it just because you know when you're young you don't necessarily like that? I it never, never cared. An issue. I never. I was. I felt very lucky. I was. I was paid to look younger. That's great. I never cared when I was younger that I looked young. I always looked like that. Right. Look, I'm a yeah. hundred years old. Look how good I look right now. Don't I look like I'm just like sixty? Right there, you go. So. Exactly. <laughs> Well, you got the job, so it all worked out. And then the first season airs. Like you said, the pilot wasn't very good. The first season airs. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't what it what we think of Nanototo as. Mm-hmm. And the first season aired, which I watched. And, you know, like the ratings weren't great by any stretch of the imagination. So were you that like first year thinking like, okay, I need to go get a job. Like this was a great experience. Oh, I was looking. I literally, I, you know, I had an apartment I owned in New York. And I left that apartment to come here to LA to shoot this show, knowing that I was not going to be going back to New York. And um, I literally watched the pilot. I was like, oh, this is terrible. I better find a job if I'm going to pay my rent. And, um, and I started to look for work. Wow. Yeah. And then, you know, at that point we had three networks plus Fox. It was different times and then an unprecedented move. We air episodes over the summer at Beverly Beach Club. Right. And it changed. I mean, the, that changed was it, the right? Yeah. Well, the summer airings were really what broke through for, yeah, for 90210 because nobody was doing original programming. Not like now, you know, where you see people are shooting year round. There was none during summertime. And so it was brilliant for all the kids who were home and they had nothing to watch. This became their go-to. So we established the audience and then grew the audience once they went back to school. It was the most, I think, uh, they were unprepared for the success of what they created. And it never would have done so well if we'd gone the mainstream, I think. That was really, it was innovative in that moment, and it really directed the trajectory of the show. And like you said, I don't think they were prepared. Everything changed. Yeah, everything changed. I mean, so like I know about like, you know, all the, rumors like you know Luke and Jason they had to be snuck out of like shopping malls and they couldn't go anywhere like did that extend to you like did Andrea attract that too it was very uh when the show hit everybody you know we were working day in and day out so we weren't cognizant of the how big it was and we again didn't have the internet so you're not looking at social media there was nothing like that so when we, the show became, yes, when we really started to take off, everybody felt it. We, it was, uh, it was a phenomenon at the time. When you think about it, we couldn't go to the malls. We couldn't go. My family, I never went out alone, you know, for many years. Uh, and it look, and I'm not complaining about it, but it was just, a, we didn't know how to manage it. It was, it's not something that people could tell you. We were lucky enough that the show did really well, but then suddenly we didn't know how to, we didn't know how to balance it all, right? It was just, it was really, really a challenge. And it was, sometimes it's scary because people don't always have boundaries and they would like race in and they would like grab at us. And, you know, so there was a lot of emotional, you know, young energy, everybody was around. It was just, it was intense yet, yeah, but we all experienced it. 
and dealt with it differently. Everybody had their own. Some became more reclusive. I think I was more like that. I didn't go out in public as much. Others kind of loved it and really pushed the envelope on it, you know, like, you know, like standing in the limos and, you know, standing up and waving and they loved that whole vibe. And it's a very, it's a very interesting, it was an interesting time. Who was the standing up in the limo and waving their hands? Oh, well, you know, <laughs> they should tell their own stories. <laughs> I mean, I could take, I could take guesses. Uh-huh. <laughs> Have you ever had like a scary or like a crazy fan story? Like I once had someone say like he was on general hospital and he's like, someone bought me a dog, like a living dog showed up and he's like, I don't want a dog. Mm-hmm. No, like, well, I had, that's pretty uh, interesting. There, there's a lot of things. I mean, from I had somebody who wrote me from India saying he was my real father. My and he said we should have tests done to show that he was my father. Um, but from people, my mom had been very sick. This was when I was in New York and I was walking down the street and I was crying. I was on the phone because she was going through a procedure. And somebody's like, "Oh my God, can I have your autograph?" Can I? And I was like, "Can you see him crying right now?" Like, can you, you know, or people would follow me into the bathroom. That was a big one. Like, okay, let me just have a little privacy. I'll come out. But, but at all, what did you buy with your, like, did you make one big first splurge? You know, like now you're in the public eye and the money started rolling in. Like, what was your splurge? Well, it took me a long time to splurge because I came from New York where I was like, you know, when you call, I was, I was a hoofer, man. I went from audition to audition. Right. So I knew what it was like. Don't forget. I was older than everybody. So I had gone through that whole time of never having any money. I was taking, so I, it took me a long time. I think the cast went through like three or four cars before I got my first upgrade. You know what I mean? I had a Honda Civic forever, a Honda Accord forever and ever and ever. Uh, but I guess my first buy was um, that what I did with my husband. We bought a house. That was our first. Yeah. But that's practical, at least. Yeah. It's very Andrea Zuckerman of you. Well, you know, it is. I have to tell you, I've seen people make a lot of money and lose everything. Right. You know, people think, I mean, it scared me because it was just too fast. Everything that happened and it was money I had never seen. And I had to think about, I knew what it was like not to work. And I knew I wasn't coming from where I had family financially supporting me. So, you know, part of, I I knew people who were in shows that were major hits, bought big houses and did all this and lost everything. And I just, I didn't want to be that story. I get it. I'm the same way. I'm always like, yeah. How I mean, hungry I'm, is Zuckerman of you? <laughs> I, I know. I, I mean, I'm like, I was going to say, I'm like, I'm a nice Jewish girl. And like, just, that's what I was raised <laughs> just to be like, you know, like I spend and I enjoy my life, but just like, you don't right. know, like something right. could happen tomorrow. Right. You don't know. I get it. I mean, especially when you're an actor, right. Going from gig to gig, no matter how successful that gig is. You're only successful as that moment. And it was really, I just, I never wanted to be, when I first got into wanting to be an actor, I had my best friend who wanted to be a, um, an acupuncturist. And she said, oh, Gabrielle, I can't wait. You're going to go to New York and I'm going to come visit you and you're going to be a starving actor. And I'm going to come to your apartment. You'll just have enough money for a crate in the middle of the room and we'll sit on the floor and we'll drink wine together and we'll laugh. And I'm like, I don't know whose life you're talking about. That's not my life. Like, I'm not going to be in the middle of the floor with a crate with a bottle of wine and say, Oh my God, I can't feed myself. That will never be my life. And totally. It's not what I want. <laughs> no, that doesn't sound exciting to me. No. So on that note, like, were you like Andrea? I mean, you know, studious, high school, like the good student. Were you a lot like her? I, I was a good student, but that would be it. I was definitely not a good girl. I mean, she, I mean, I was not a bad girl, but I definitely got into a lot more trouble than Andrea did. Different life, different life, different life. Does that happen a lot? I mean, you know, do people still come up to you and say, Andrea, can I have your autograph? Andrea, can I have a picture? Yeah. Yeah. Or Andrea, come over here. I'm like, my name is Gabrielle, but that's okay. Do you look though? Because I mean, you know, they're talking to you. Um, No, if somebody says my name or whatever, I I will always, I look at, I am very, uh, I make no mistake. I know that our fans, it is really, they are really wonderful. And they're so, so loving and caring. So I actually would never not uh, acknowledge somebody who's, you know, if they were rude, I'd say, you know what? But other than that, I know it's an honor. And I know, 
I'm not confused. <laughs> I'm not confused about how important it is and how, how grateful I am for uh, the people who really love our show. So I. Well, I am one of those people. I interview a lot of people, but this is, I love 90210. You're so sweet. I need to just come out with that. Now, <laughs> what about, I don't think you watched it, but the 2015, did you watch the unauthorized Beverly Hills unauthorized biography on Lifetime? No, I met somebody who played my played me though. And I met her, I forget where I was, but I, I did not see it. How was it? It was good. Like, I mean, I think like as a fan of the show, you didn't really learn anything. Like you knew most of the chit chat of what went on backstage right. or all the rumors, but I mean, as a fan of the show, it was good. Was it good? I, yeah, I, I mean, it was really good. forgot about it. I should actually go back and look at it. I it was good. It. Like it was nothing like, oh, I can't believe this happened. Like you kind of knew it all, but it was good. It was fun to watch. Huh. Well, you know, there were all the rumors about, you know, our good friend Shannon, who no shade or anything. I mean, you know, this tense set, I've sat down with other people from 902 and 0. Shannon was chronically late. The red dress incident, Jenny and Shannon. The final straw was that she cut her hair without approval. So, Gabrielle, how true was all of this? <laughs> you know what? You... There you go. There's always, uh, nothing is ever, n nothing without a grain of truth. That, that's a good answer. Listen, I mean, you know, I sit here and I smile while you, while you answer. <laughs> But I mean, you know, so listen, there was a lot of rumors about like Shannon and Jenny, et cetera, et cetera. So like, where were you? Like, let's just assume for a minute this is going on. Like, where was Gabrielle? Like, I mean, did you just stay out of it? And was it hard to bond with these people because you were older or like, were you more into hanging out with Carol Potter and James Eckhouse? <laughs> I actually, you know who I hung out with? Jason. Who? So Jason and I have always been very close and I... I will always, I mean, I love them all. I have to tell you, doing the reboot was really phenomenal for me because I felt like we came full circle. So I was older than them when we were doing the show and I had my baby, my first baby on the show in real life. Yes. Um, coming together, you know, just this, you know, year and a half ago, being with everybody and having them be parents now and us sharing the stories was amazing for me. I really have to say it was life-changing and um but it was when I was there it was I I got along with everybody but and I'd have them over to my house I'd cook or we'd go like they came for my birthday to San Francisco and we had a great time and it was really I loved being with them but we were definitely on a different track I was married and you know we're getting married and I had my first baby they were out partying I wasn't a nightclub girl so I, even when I was their age, I wasn't a nightclub girl. So that was not the thing that we shared, but we were on set every day together. So we shared a lot of our personal life. Um, and through the years, we've shared our personal life. Like I lost my mom and my dad and they came to be with me when I got injured. There was so much, you know, Jason and Luke and Ian and people reaching out. And I mean, there's incredible love there, but I was different. I was older and I was in a different headspace then than they were. So you kind of just, if there was tension, you just kind of stayed out of it all. Yeah, it was not for, I, I, I hate that. I, I want to come to work. I want to love what I'm doing. I want to make you look great and I want to feel great and I want to have a good time. Um, so I did, I basically stayed out of it. There was, you know, I just, I don't have a lot of room for that. It's a job. You want to do a good job and go home. Yeah. Now we don't need to confirm or deny anything, but like you look at someone like a Shannon, you know, like with all these rumors, like one of the first bad girls, like, do you ever think of like, I mean, what was it like? Cause there was no social media. Like, could you imagine if there was social media when you were on 90210? No, I am telling you, I don't know if social media would have actually helped us or hurt us as that. I really don't know. Cause it's so immediate. I, I'm not you know, I love social media in some ways. In some ways, I really hate it. And I think, you know, we see what happened just in the last administration and the use and abuse, I think, of social media. It really, I think that we've seen some of the downsides of it, but I don't know how it would have been for us. It could have been, actually, we were so successful at that time. Can you imagine what social media could have done for us, you know, God, it could have maybe even done more. I don't know. But I think that also could have hurt us. Right. Like, I guess it could have done well because you could have reached. Right. Even huge more. We're over a hundred. 
Well, we were in a hundred countries already outside of the United States wow. during that time. Can you, I mean, it, I, it could have been really amazing that way. The other thing is that the privacy of being on set and people with cameras and crews, you know, or guests maybe taking pictures of things that would have been, would have changed the story. Right. So I think that it's in some ways it was good that we didn't have it. You think that's how it could have hurt you? Like just, I think, you know, I think that people would have been just on, it would have hurt our relationships potentially. Right. I think that, or, or could have solidified it. Maybe we kind of would have like circled the horses. I don't know the wagons, but I don't know how it would have been. It would have been different. Definitely. How was it working with like Tiffany Thiessen? I love Tiffany. Tiffany's really so, such a nice, good person. So talented, so funny. So she's lovely. Lovely. She seems lovely. Yeah. And like, what is it like working with an Oscar winner like Hilary Swank, who was fired? We all know, but I think she's done okay for herself. I think she has. I don't think she has any regrets. I actually, I have, I didn't work with Hillary when she was on. She was after you. Yeah. I think she, so I never, I never worked with her on it, but we had a lot. I didn't know. We, I forgot. We had like Jessica Alba on. We had, we had a lot of people who came on through our show, which is, that is amazing, right? That's kind of cool. It is kind of cool. What about, you know, I know the decision, like you were pregnant in real life and you went to the producers and they, like you said, like they wrote that into the show. How was that? Like, how easy was that? Like, was it, what type of environment was like that? And were you, I mean, that's a pretty decent thing that you can just go to a producer and say, let's write this in. I'm sure it wasn't that easy. It was actually amazing. I think I was more nervous than anything. I actually went to Aaron. I had asked if I could have lunch, meet him for a meeting. And I came in and I said to Aaron, I, you know, Charlie and I, Charlie's my husband and I would like to get pregnant. And I, I really wanted to let you know, and I'm, I'm hoping that you'll support that. And I'm hoping you'll not try to hide me behind a book. I'd like to be able to be pregnant in real life. So my, you know, to be seen because I want my daughter or my baby when they are, she or he is born will um, say, Oh, my mom was proud to be pregnant with me. So Aaron said, I can't believe you came in to ask me. I thought you were going to come and tell me you already were. He said, yes, we'll do it. And um, it was really interesting. The feedback. So that was, so that wasn't so hard, right? What was hard was um, the reaction to the, from the audience. People were like, Andrea is so smart. She wouldn't, how dare you do that? She would never get pregnant. I was like, wow, that's like small minded. You think intelligence is the thing I said, passion and those things have nothing to do with somebody's intelligence. People, all of us make mistakes and um, you're wrong. So it was an interesting, it was really interesting to see how people wanted Andrea to be a certain thing. I was like, she's a human being and, and she gets to make mistakes in life. And did you feel like, so you felt very protective at that point? Oh yeah. I had no problem. I wrote back. In fact, the times did a, there was a, I guess an article that came out and I went and wrote a letter to the editor that was printed and Aaron was very supportive because I had been so honest about it, but they have, I think they had a hard time writing for me after that. I think it was really for them. It was, um, they psychologically wanted to be open and inclusive and they weren't quite ready to make that happen. They didn't know how to handle it. And then, uh, but years later after I left, and everybody started having children and all that. They were allowing that. They it it evolved. The show evolved, and their ability to be open, yeah, and to do things got better. So was that hard? Like when you know they come to you and they say this isn't working. You know, like at the end of that season, and we're writing Andrea out. Like was that like a big blow? Or that's not how it happened. Oh, that's not how it happened. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, see, no, I'm just making things yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. You're just, I actually had been offered by Rupert Murdoch at that time. Um, I love talk shows. I, that was Phil Donahue was big then. I just loved talk shows, Oprah. And um, that was when uh, um, Rupert had asked me to come to his office and talk to me about doing a talk show. And I said, at that time, I said, you, you know, I'm not quite ready because I think that this was just before I got pregnant. I, think I said, I'm not quite ready because the truth is you want me to do because the show is so big, but I don't think I'm finished with the show yet. I don't want to do that yet. Um, and it was a couple of years later that I came back and uh, said, you know, I'm ready. Do you want to do a, a show? But um, I, I was the one who, it was after the five years, um, I, it was time for me to move on. I was, 
because I was older than everybody and I felt like they didn't really know what to do with me anymore. And I thought, you know, I had to have the courage to leave the money to go and do my own thing. You know, it's that hard makes, to do that. It's hard to do that. Yeah. The wait is over. That's right. A season five of the Kardashians is here. Just when you thought life couldn't get any faster, they're punching it into overdrive. Chris, Courtney, Kim, Chloe, Kendall, and Kylie are back and continue to defy expectations in all their endeavors. So get ready to go behind the glitz and glamour of the most iconic family on television. The all-new season of The Kardashians premieres May 23rd, streaming on Hulu. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Tis the most wonderful time of the year, but you know what? Your mouth gives a lot of action this time of year. It's talking to all of those relatives, all that food and drink that you're putting in it, karaoke parties, or perhaps a mistletoe makeout. Listen, give your mouth the gift of better oral care with Quip. This is why I love it. It's lightweight. It has a sleek design. There's no wires or bulky charger. It also has reusable handles and a range of sleek metal hues, or as I prefer bright plastic colors, Quip has so many stocking stuffers as well. Refillable mouthwash, refillable gum, floss. If you go to getquip.com slash velvet right now, on top of their holiday savings, you'll get your first refill free. That's your first refill free and up to 40% off bundles at getquip.com slash velvet. That's spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P.com slash Velvet Quip, the good habits company. I'm in such a good mood because I just got my new rain jacket, t shirts, and sweaters in the mail from Tentry. Not only are these products fashion forward, but they're earth friendly. Tentry sells lots of different products, including clothing, underwear, outerwear, activewear, and more. What I love is that not only are these fashion forward, like I said, but everything they make is manufactured ethically and from materials that are either sustainably sourced or recycled. Besides being sustainable, Tentry clothing is so soft and so comfortable. I'm already wearing these t-shirts like all day and all night. Listen, for every item purchased from Tentry, they plant 10 trees. And this helps take carbon out of the air, replenish ecosystems, and it gives jobs to tree planters and communities around the world. Learn more about Tentry's planting mission and to grab some comfy, sustainable clothes, check out their website, www.tentry.com. And because you're listening to this podcast, use code VELVET to get 15% off your first order. That's www.tentree.com. Use code VELVET to get 15% off your first order. Have you ever been excited by that big sign free trial? You sign up and you don't even realize it's a subscription that renews without your consent. My life has changed since I discovered Truebill. Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need, want, or simply forget about. On average, people save up to $720 a year with Truebill because companies make subscriptions so hard to cancel. Have you ever actually realized you were paying for a subscription and then tried to cancel it? You have to scroll around that website so many times, click so many buttons. Truebill makes it so simple. Just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. And your Truebill concierge is there when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions so you don't have to. Don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash Velvet Rope. Go right now. Truebill.com slash Velvet Rope. It could save you thousands a year. Truebill.com slash Velvet Rope. The holidays can be the most wonderful time of the year. Okay, I'll leave the singing to someone else. 
But if you're running an online store, you do know that it also can be the craziest time of the year. I was going through this with the behind the velvet rope merchandise. I had all that to manage. I had so many orders to fill and I had a growing list of stressed out listeners checking in twice a day, wondering where everything was. Well, I found ShipStation. The hassle of shipping out holiday orders and all of this merch has just melted away. Listen, if you sell anything online, I don't need to tell you that shipping can be super frustrating. There are so many carriers and a ton of factors that go into figuring out the best rate for each order. What I love about ShipStation also is you can easily import orders from every sales channel, Amazon, eBay, Etsy, or your own website. Also, ShipStation works with all major carriers, international and local, including FedEx, USPS, and UPS. Make this holiday season a little brighter with ShipStation. Use my offer code VELVET to get a 60-day free trial. Just enough time to handle the holiday rush. Just go to ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top, and enter code VELVET. ShipStation. Make ship happen. Well, I know what you guys were doing in the early 2000s. It's the same thing I was doing. Millions of households across the world turned into watch contestants battle for the last rows or to be the final survivor on an island. Reality TV at this time was beginning to dominate the airwaves and every show needed to be bigger, flashier, and more scandalous than the last. But in the case of one infamous dating show, the real drama was happening off screen. The reality TV series, There's Something About Miriam, seemed like a pretty standard dating competition. Six young men vied for the affection of Miriam Rivera, a beautiful model from Mexico. But when Miriam revealed that she was a trans woman during the show's finale, the on-screen drama sparked an international uproar about gender, sexuality, and whether reality television had gone too far. Wondery's new podcast miniseries, Harsh Reality, the story of Miriam Rivera reveals what happened behind the scenes on how a multi-million dollar lawsuit and media fallout change reality TV forever. Follow Harsh Reality, the story of Miriam Rivera on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or you can listen early and ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts or the Wondery app. Was there anything that, you know, for you, like jumped the shark? Like, was there any Andrea storyline that you loved more than another and one that you were just like, I don't think she should have gone in this direction? I'd have to think about that. I don't know. I'd have to, I can't remember all the stories. Is there one for you? <laughs> I, I am. I'm like you. I can't remember all the stories either. Huge fan. But like, I am so shocked when people and for any TV show can say like, this is this episode season three. I'm like, I don't know how you do that. No, I can't do that. We have too many things we like, right? I know, right? Gotta keep you in the moment. But I think Andrea was great just the way she was. So I personally wouldn't change anything. Well, speaking of talk shows, you did get one. So how was that experience, Gabrielle? That was, uh, that was intense. You know, first of all, I started with a special, a series of specials called Face the Hate. That was really great. That came up after the uh, Rodney King riots and they wanted me to, I'd been approached about doing a talk show and I wasn't ready, but I said, I do a series of specials and they said, great, what would you do it on? And I said, I would do it about hatism, that thing, that intolerance we have for anybody who's not like us. At first, nobody wanted to do that because they said, you know, people don't want to see that. They want to see like Jerry Springer or whatever. And I said, no, hey, people don't put them to the lowest denominator. They, they want to have those conversations anyway. So I did that. And then I, um, doing the show, the talk show was great, but it was a different audience. Daytime audience is different. So there was a lot of death threats cause I'm Jewish. And, um, those were, that was challenging stuff for me. Like they had to have metal detectors and, you know, I had to have security with me all the time. So I think emotionally it was a little bit ch- challenging for me to go through that. It was traumatic because I had children. And you got death threats just because what you were a Jew hanging have with your own talk show. And yeah. I guess that didn't exist. I'm trying to think of all the other talk shows at that time. Wow. Well, I don't know. Yeah, it was very, I, the things they, you know, people said, you know, look out, we're going to go, you know, when you're in the audience, be careful. I'm going to jump out and stab you. And I literally, it was, uh, I literally, we had to go and put in metal detectors, bulletproof glass in my office. I mean, it was stuff that was just, and I think this goes on for, it's just a different audience. It's whatever is going on there. And a lot of people have these stories and people don't really, it's okay for them, but I, I'm really not that I'm really pretty private. You know what I mean? Like I don't mind sharing stuff, but I, 
that was a little bit too much for me with my kids. Like they could never be in public with me. They had to go through, they had different exit points and entrance points. I didn't bring them to certain things. I just, I didn't want the pictures taken. I was very anxious around uh, how aggressive people could be. Yeah, that's a lot to handle when you have to coordinate like your children being at a different exit or not. I mean, that's a lot. It's just, that's a lot. Did you talk, did you get any advice before you had your own talk show? Like, did you call like Oprah or Sally, Jesse? Like, did you check in with anyone? No, that would have been good. I didn't do that. I just went in and did it. I just interviewed Sally, Jesse Raphael. So she's on my Oh, really? Legend. Legend. She was around. How long was her show? Her show was on, it was really a long time. She was on for, you know, I think like, I forgot, like 15 years, I think. Something like, or maybe I, it was, I mean, she's, she's a legend. When you leave something like 90210, like as Andrea Zupperman, like, I mean, you worked a lot afterwards in addition to your talk show, but do you then face like typecasting? And I don't mean that as like a shady question. I just no, mean like- people, I do. Yeah. Oh, some people would call me in for auditions just because they wanted to, they would say, I just had to meet you, you know, because of Andrea. Other people like, oh, you know, I loved her as Andrea. No, no, I don't think so. So their attachment to that. Now we're coming into a new generation that's not necessarily- a part of that time. So that's an interesting, that's interesting to be a part of that casting process, right? We're not known for that same thing. Yes. What about, you mentioned the reboot. It was so nice. Did you keep in touch with, it sounds like you kept in touch off and on with almost everyone before the reboot. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just like full circle to come back. It was, uh, honest to God, it was really hard. It was really, really hard. People have no idea what it was like in terms of you know, developing a show and we were working hard, but I love being with them. And I really realized I spent a good part of my early adult years with them. And there's something, it's almost like, if do you have siblings at all? Yeah, I have a sister. So you have a sister. I don't, so I don't know, like I have a twin brother. So we always talk about our, our childhood in a way that nobody, we always say nobody would ever really understand the way we understand. And I think that's the same with the cast. We could talk about a lot of things, but who we are and what, what that time of our lives, we, it's hard to explain it to anybody else. We were in it together. And so that binds us together forever. Right. And it's, it was really incredible to be able to be with everybody and to be with Tori and Jenny as women, as moms and to be that we stayed and we were living in the same apartment building when we went out to Vancouver to shoot. That was awesome. That was, that was for me, the was incredible to be able to discover them as women and for them to see me as a, it was great. I loved it. And I loved being, seeing Brian. Now I had not seen Brian since we had done the show and to see him as a man and he's beautiful. I mean, he's just so, that was great. And to see, you know, Ian and to be able to see Jason and everybody together. It was wonderful. Really. It was. Brian is beautiful. I, I would agree with that statement. Yes. yes. Um, what, like what goes through your mind though, when you get that call, like, Hey, we're thinking of like, did you hesitate at all? Or was it like, just sign me up? Well, that's it, no, I got a call from, forget if I got a call from Tori and Jenny or I got it from the casting. I'm not, I think I got it from casting first. And then I reached out because this was Jenny and Tori's thought baby. Right. Yeah. And I called them and then I started calling the rest of the cast to see how they felt. And um, we went in for a lot of meetings to shape the show, to talk about what we were interested, what we would be willing to do, not do. There was a lot of, you know, I don't know if I want to, you know, revisit a character that I was, you know, I've been so strongly identified with that I can't do other things, you know, and then, but then I think we've been away long enough that everybody was like, okay, well, we could try it. You know, it was, there was a lot of fear and excitement, you know, to do it. It was a very interesting journey. Well, it was a great spin where you were playing heightened versions of yourself. What, whose idea was it your idea? Or do you have any input? I mean, Andrea is now exploring her sexuality with that was mine. Yeah. Christina Lee or Andrea, you are exploring, oh. not Andrea. See, I'm already. That's okay. Christine, actually, how brilliant for her. She's so no, I, I went and said, when we were doing character development for us, I said, you know, I think that I should be um, discovering uh, that, you know, maybe that I'm in a different place in my life and that I, I really want, I had a friend who went through that. She'd been married for almost 30 years 
three kids and she realized, you know what, I, I'm gay. And it was something that she had not dealt with. And um, she lived what seemed to be a very happy life. But she said, I'm at a, that's not where I am and who I am. And I'm, I'm not going to deny myself. And I said, I think that is a really compelling story. I think that are a lot of people who are going through, you know, living uh, the life that everybody, you know, is expected of them and then realizing this is my life. And um, I think it's time for me to let go of everybody's expectations and do my life, right? So that was really exciting when they embraced that. And at first, the, you know, we had different writers. They wanted to do stuff that was like really um, made it, make it comedic. And I think there are things that could be funny, but I said, this is real. Like, you don't have to, yeah. you, you know, let people t- hear the story, let them feel the feelings, what it is. And by the way, I wasn't calling you Andrea. I just thought in the story, but I'm like, it wasn't Andrea on the story. It was Gabrielle. I know, See, it's I already, know. this Don't is worry. why it was a brilliant reboot. But were you, I mean, how, how bittersweet was it to do it, you know, without Luke? Well, it's the sadness of Luke dying. We were in the process because Luke was part of the development. So it was very, very painful when he died. And it's anyway would have been. But um, we shot we knew we had to also be able to honor Luke because not to have recognized Luke not being there would have been a sham. And yet we could not go and make the show about that because then it looked like you were trying to, you know, we didn't want to emotionally milk people, you know what we, we, so we tried to honor him in a way that would be the most, you know, honest thing and then not make the show about that. But it was, look at, he died young, you know, how Mm -hmm. sad is that? So many people do. And, it's just because he was in the public eye, there was a feeling, you know, it was that universal loss that we all share, but um, he was a really good man and he really cared. He was a very sensitive soul. So it was sad. It was just really, it was hard. So sometimes we do something and say, oh, Luke would love that. You know, we have like, oh, that Luke would love that. He would have thought that was great. You know, so we honored him. Was it like somewhat cathartic, like to go through this together, you know, like almost right after that or shortly yeah. there after that? It was really interesting, right? Because we were developing the show all together. So yes, we all cried together. We didn't, it was cathartic to have each other and we were so present in each other's lives in that moment. So we didn't have to seek each other out. And um, it allowed us to, I guess, to mourn him more help in a healthy way. Yeah, it was good. Did you learn anything different or that shocked you about any of these old friends of yours or lifelong friends during this reboot of all living together where you're like, wow. Mm-hmm. I think just, wow, how familiar, how much we really knew each other, how much we, I don't think there was nothing that shocked me. It was all just really comfortable and comforting. It was interesting. Do you think there'll be more reunions? We're talking right now about doing something else together. So I think that would be really fun. You'll hear more depending on what happens. A movie? See, it happens. Okay. <laughs> okay. I've heard rumors of a movie. I've heard rumors of a documentary. <laughs> it all sounds good. It's all Listen, good. Whatever we do will be fun. I, I will personally take it, and I think the fans will personally take it any way they can get it. Well, wow, thank you. What about, I mean, you know, you're also the president of sag Aftra, so how is that? I mean... And does that, you know, that fits with Andrea Zuckerman. It does. It doesn't. So funny. You know, it's totally two different things. <laughs> One is, I, you know, know. I do this. It's a volunteer position. I, uh, I, I did it and I started getting involved once I had been injured and I, I was able to pay it forward. I feel like I've been really blessed in my career. So I wanted to be able to reach forward to be with other members. It has been profoundly life-changing for me. And uh, I don't know if it's what Henri would have done, but maybe there's, you know, she would have, but uh, it's been, it's totally two different things. It really, it's different. But I mean, you got to have some smarts to you to be the president of SAC after I would think. Well, so that's very, the glasses, I don't know. The glasses do it. Right. What about, you know, because being the president of SAC after and just everything, you know, you've met really, I mean, imagine everyone mm. who we, or do you get starstruck ever? Oh, yeah. 
I, you know, when I'm doing work, I, when I'm dealing with our, our members, no matter if they're very well known or not, it always comes down to human beings, right? The situations and stories we're talking about are real. So I think that uh, it's more nerve wracking. I, you know, if you're in a, like a restaurant, you see something, mm-hmm. oh, hi. I mean, that's, you know, people, unlike everybody else, there's people I really admire. Like when I was younger in New York, I remember seeing Jessica Tanny, Hume Cronin at the plaza. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God. Or, you know, the first time I, you know, um, um, I'm Anthony Hopkins when I met him and I, but I think that whenever it, it's coming to the presidency and the work I do, I, I'm really not thinking about uh, whether they've made it in terms of, you know, six, uh, being famous or not famous, because it's really workers, right? We're just performers, we're artists, and everybody experiences very similar things, even if it's done at different points. So not so much that way. That makes sense. Like, I get starstruck, but not when I'm on my show, like yeah, when I'm on right? my show, it's just, it's different. It's different. Totally different. Cause you're doing the work. Right. Like, you know, three weeks from now, if I see like you and Tori walking down like fifth Avenue, New York, like I might come up and say something and ask for a picture, but not, well, I hope you show. would say something. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I would say hi and remember me and like, remember you did my show. And, but yeah, it, it's, it's, I'm the same way. Like when I'm in the zone, it really is work. Like, right. it's just like, I got the job to do here. So I get that. What about, is it hard for you to watch, you know, like when you hear like rumors about like these lifelong friends of yours, you know, like true Tory. I mean, she put that out there, but like, you know, like all the other stuff, like, do you, like, is that hard for you to watch stuff like that? Or just in general, other rumors? I, you know what? I don't pay attention to them. I swear to God. I don't. So I'm a, I'm a little boring. I'm not into all that. I don't follow even on social media, that stuff. I'm not once in a while I'll get on to share something and I'll see something and I'll like it, but I'm just not because I, I, I can't be a part of that. You know, if I heard something really terrible, I would call to give support because it's painful, right? You're in the public eye and you you're excited. It's such an honor. It really is the highest honor. It is incredible gratitude. And yet you're also an individual who really wants to have some, uh, you know, modicum of privacy. We all, everybody's the same. It's just a job that's public. So think about, I would always say to anybody, think about your struggles. Those are shared struggles amongst all of us. So be a little bit sensitive, right? Know that it's, you know, I, stars are stars because of their jobs, not because they're any different than we are. I agree. I, one of my favorite topics, we won't talk about it here today because it's about a five hour topic, but just our relationship to fame, celebrity, like it's, it's like one of my favorite topics to talk about, but it's like, you could, it's just, it's strange, right? It's a, I agree. It's like, it is a job. It's a manufactured. And you don't know the person. Like, I get it. You love their work. Well, like, you know what I always say? Cause like, I'm a Cindy Lauper fan. I'm like a lot of people's fans. So like, at Cindy Lauper concerts, she'll say when people are screaming, she'll be like, you don't love me. She'll be like, right. you don't know me. That's she's like, trust great. me, if you knew me, you might probably wouldn't love me. She's like, you love my music. And that is. And that's great. Right. Right. So that's but don't put the pressure on me other than being, I am who I am the best I can be. Sometimes I'm really great. And sometimes maybe not. And I'm, I'm a work in progress and, and know that and allow me my humanity. Totally. What about, I mean, are you in touch with like Shannon? Like I know Shannon's having like a lot of health issues and like, I have not talked to Shannon. No, but I, I saw Shannon afterwards. Um, her mom uh, works in a clothing store that's, you know, here in LA and um, I was there and I saw Shannon. So it was nice to see her, but Shannon and I never really hung in the same circles. You were the closest to Brian and still, I mean, you were the closest to Jason and still are. Jason's. And, and I love, and actually Jenny and Tori, um, I, I feel like we birthed a whole new relationship together. It was great. You do after doing the reboot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What would, I mean, cause like you said, this was Jenny and Tori's brainchild. Like what would Aaron say to Tori? I mean, following in the footsteps. You are marvelous. That's it. I said, I think it was really wonderful. When I saw Tori's mom, I said, I hope you're really proud of her because she's, she's really, I want you to know, Tori puts out, you know, this projects, this kind of thing. She's really smart. 
Tori is detail-oriented. She's very smart. She's very artistically creative. Um, I, I was blown away by Tori, to be honest with you. I really talked to her about, she's unbelievable. And Jenny as well, very, very, both very bright and they're best friends. And they really, it's such an interesting uh, combination, right? But it really works and they really take care of each other. And it's, I, I have incredible respect for both of them. And like you said, it makes sense. Like you're going, no one could understand what that was like financial experience if you weren't on the no, show. And we talked a lot about it. I mean, that was really, that made it cathartic. We talked about how at the time the network tried to keep us all divided, separated out from each other um, because that allowed them to have more leverage in what they wanted. And we knew this time around that we needed to stick together in a way that we, when we were younger, even though I might've been older, I was younger, um, didn't know that we could. And it was really power, empowering to be able to, and that's something I learned in my presidency, right? Like who would have thought, I said, I fight for people's rights every day. And then suddenly I realized, oh, but I have to fight for mine. It was really a great experience. What about, you have two daughters in their yeah. 20s. Have they watch the full anthology of 90210? Now they did. So they never did growing up and then, uh, and never wanted to, but when I got the reboot and we were going to get do it, they actually did. And my oldest said, mom, that show was great. And my, my youngest too, like, that's amazing. The time is like, I, that's so funny. You're watching it now. Yeah. You're like, I've been trying to tell you that for years. No, I said, they just, it's so funny. Cause my oldest who was born when I was on the show, she, she was too young to understand the show and what, what the significance of it was at that time. And um, so that was fun for me in a way. I guess it was fun for me because I don't talk about it. I actually don't tell them what it was like. I just never, you know, I have too many things going on and why go back there. But um, I think it was, it was so interesting for them to see me differently than they had before. I don't think they understood where I had come from in terms of my work. It was great. What about, do you ever get tired? You know, like here you are, you are the president of SAG-AFTRA. You've, you know, done many other things. You're on Broadway. Like, are you, you know, do you get like, listen guys, it was one role. I'm Gabrielle Carteris. I have a whole career. Like, does it ever get tiring or are you just like, I get it, I get it, I get it. No, I, I don't look at it as any, I mean, I, I find it really, it is, uh, it was, uh, it changed my life and I appreciate that people still respond to it. And uh, I do have a lot going on. If people ask me, I share it, but you know, like, like Cindy Lauper, you don't really know me. So it's, you know, I I'm cool with it as long. I don't even think of it that way. So it's just, I think it's really, I'm moved by it actually. What about the SAG awards? I mean, are those like, are you as the president, like, do you get really involved? Like, is that part of your job description? Like putting that all together and. No, that's not okay. a part of my job description. That's something that is definitely, it's, it's a very official, uh, you know, award show. And it's my contribution is really when I go to speak and I have to do it within a certain amount of time. And I have to make sure that I know, you know, I, I really work on my message and what through my presidency, I've been around for, you know, Harvey Weinstein, I had to deal with that the immigration issues when the kids were being taken from their parents, you know, all those things happened like the day before the SAG award. So I have to rewrite because you can't to ignore would be disingenuous. There's no way you can ignore it and, and let the audience feel like we're real people. I mean, we have to acknowledge what's taking place. So it's, and to, so keep in the vibe of the show and to keep that going, but to also really talk about the real stuff is interesting. That is interesting. What about, what do you think of the current state of TV? Like all the reality? I mean, I'm assuming you don't really watch a lot of reality TV. Maybe you do, but what do you, I mean, like, do you like the genre? Like, does that take away from real actors I, and actresses? You know, I look at, I, I do like it. So I'm not, I know that I don't want anybody's jobs to be taken, but I think there's so many different platforms and there's so many different opportunities. I don't really think it takes away jobs. I did Surreal Life when it first came out. I loved it. It was, and I was not a fan of reality shows until that moment. And it was awesome to do, so fun. 
And um, I love like the housewives. I like all the housewife shows. And I like, you know, I think it's, I think there's room for everybody. Would you ever be a real housewife of, I'm assuming no. you live in LA? No. Yeah, no, no. They've asked me to do like wife swap. I won't do those shows because it's, I'm not interested in that for myself, but I, I, I take my hat off to the people who want to do it. I'm not here to. What about acting? Like, do you still, I mean, you know, you're busy with, I mean, like 90210 aside and maybe possible reboots and other things you guys have working on. Like, do you try to do as much acting as possible? Yeah, I just, uh, you know, it's been a hard year. So I just finished shooting a film uh, in Washington. I'm going to be, after I leave you, I have an interview and then I'm going to go and do an audition. So I am, that's, look at, I get paid to work as an actor. I do not get paid as this. So in union service, they always say it's family, work, and union. Um, union has been really focused for me, particularly this last year because the pandemic and, the, you know, our industry shutting down. So I was very focused on opening, reopening safely, and then making sure we can stay open was really key. We also, you know, so, but my, my work is acting, right? This is my honor and blessing to do. I want to be able to be supportive, but that's where I make my money. (laughs) Yes, it is. And what is the current, and then like, we'll wrap up in two seconds. What is the like state, you know, because of COVID, like what's going on behind the scenes at the industry from the president of SAG, tell us what, you know, like, is it, I mean, I know it's not fully open yet. No, but we're, I think we're almost 65% open and I, we're, everything's happening right now. We really, because of our protocols that we put in, you know, we work in collaboration with uh, other unions and the, uh, our producers. We have protocols at less than 1% contamination rate, which has been great because it's allowed the shows mm-hmm. to stay open, but we are constantly in negotiations and we're going to actually have to relook, look at, it's been over a year now. Right. So at the end of July, we have to revisit the protocols. I think they'll change because there's going to be more people who've been vaccinated, but we're going to have to see what goes on. I have to say, I've said this. I think the entertainment business does not miss a beat. You know, like even in the beginning, you know, like, yes, it's different. And there's a lot of challenges that you've had to deal with, but things were up and running, you know, like I did totally different Zooms, but like life went on. And I was like, leave it to the entertainment business to just. Because at first we're like, how is this going to work? Like right. nothing well, will ever be made. How are we going to watch it? It all worked out. Well, I have to tell you, it's been, I think it was really interesting. There was a lot of motivation for people to make it work out. Because you have to remember the industry shutting down. We were the, they shut the industry down. And then they say to the country and the rest of the world, everybody, it's okay to stay home. Because you can watch all the shows that you missed on Netflix. There's tons of streaming. Enjoy yourself. And I said, those are our, and it's our members who are broadcasters. So you're listening to the news every day. Those are the members out there on the front lines who are actually sharing what's going on so you could be informed. And then you're watching all those entertainment things to keep your mind sane and your heart like so you're not aching. So my big thing was I did a lot of work in Washington with Pelosi and Schumer and talking to them about don't forget us in the stimulus package because it's our members who've actually helped to keep our country and our world sane, please don't forget us because there was a lot of, there were certain things missing in the initial stimulus packages that we actually got, which, yeah, but it's, it's, you know, it was very interesting to see this whole, it's a lot of work. I imagine final three questions. I promise. Has anyone ever come up to you and you're shocked that they're a 90210 fan, like a Meryl Streep or just someone where you're like, yes, who? Um, Lynn Miranda. So I was at the Oscars and it was afterwards, we were at the after party and he came up to me and he said, oh my God, I just love 90210. And I was like, "Uh, uh, that was a, that was like a, are you kidding me moment? You're like, you're Mr. Broadway. Like you really, you like 90210? You are Mr. Hamilton, right? There you go. That's funny. If they recast, not a reboot, if they put this back on the air now and they said, we're going to cast the same characters, any actresses that come to mind, like, you know, of the writing, you know, or that look the part, because we all know you were older, like that you're just like, that could be Andrea. Yeah, I don't know. Who do you think it should be? I, I, I don't think that way, so. I just thought of like, okay, like I went to like diversity, like Yara Shahidi. I thought right. she could be like, she's great, right? Yeah. Or like an Elle Fanning. Like, I just thought. Oh, okay. And finally, what is next for Gabrielle Carteris? Besides all the stuff you have going on, like what is next for you? I 
really. Uh, I want to really now that the you know the the pandemic is easing and I'm healthier now from my injury. I really want to go back to work. I really, I'm glad that I've been starting to work now. And this has been really a great time for me that I'm ready to. So if anybody's out there listening, I'd like to be on the show. There you go. If someone give Gabrielle a show because we need to see her on our TV screen <laughs> or a movie. Selfishly, I'd go. rather have you on TV because I'm, I'm a TV. Well, now person. movies are on television. You're okay. They are. So in addition to being the president of IFA and SAG, you will yeah. have to just someone give her a role. Where can everyone find you? I really appreciate you taking your time. You have been pleasant. You're very busy. So you have an audition to go to, but like where, I mean, thank you very much. First of all, for taking your time, but where can everyone find you? Well, I'm on, uh, I don't always answer, but if you go and you share on Instagram and Twitter are the best places, of course I'm on Facebook, but, uh, you look for me, it's my picture there. You'll know it's me. And I would love to hear if people uh, listen to the show, tell me how you guys like it, what you're hoping for. And there you go. More reboots, documentary, movie, anything I know to know. And a great new meeting part, meaty part. Thank you so much. Keep in touch. You've been wonderful. And I really appreciate it. You're lovely. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye. Bye Bye. Take care. Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Behind the Velvet Rope. Because without you listeners, I would just be a crazy person with voices in my head. And if you like what you hear, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on Apple Podcasts under Behind the Velvet Rope. And when you're done subscribing, feel free to leave a five-star write-up review because the write-up reviews actually count. We read each and every one of them. We post the best ones and the reviews really help our shows keep going. And we really appreciate everything you guys say, especially the positive ones. And if you want to find us online, we're at Behind Velvet Rope on Instagram. We are at David Yontef on Instagram. We're behind The Velvet Rope on Apple Podcasts. Or head on over to Patreon. Because you know what? There are just some things we can't talk about here. So for our bonus episodes, go to Patreon and type in Behind The Velvet Rope. And if you still aren't sick of me and you want more David, go to Cameo and book me on Cameo. And you can ask me anything there. I'll answer whatever you want. And I have a bargain basement price of $10. Thank you guys. See you soon.